If you can grab a Bible, we're on page 1177. Still in Ephesians, we're jumping in at chapter 6. So that's page 1177, if you've got a church Bible, and Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Thank you very much, Rachel Mary. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Madush, if we haven't met. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church. Uh, please do keep that passage open in front of you as we look at it. And let me also remind you that uh, as we get to the end of the series in Ephesians next week, uh, there will be opportunity for you to ask questions. So if you have questions from the last few weeks or from tonight, uh, by all means, come and talk to me, uh, talk about it with each other, but do also make a note of it, and we will try and pick up those questions next week. Well, let's pray as we listen to God through his word. Generous Father, we praise you that you have blessed your people with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Give us eyes to see all that we have in him. Give us eyes to grasp who you have made us in him. And will you renew us now by your spirit as your truth wins our hearts? Amen. Two places you may hear the word submit. A mixed martial arts part or church which probably doesn't inspire that much confidence in the idea. Here's what Emma Watson thinks about it. She says, if men don't have to be aggressive in order to be accepted, women won't feel compelled to be submissive. If men don't have control, women don't have to be controlled. Well, that's fair enough, isn't it? If submission is about domination and control, it's quite ugly, isn't it? And yet as Christians, 
we have confidence that God is good. He has made all people in his image, and that's why we are equal in value and dignity. But he has also established authority in our relationships. He has given us different roles. Now, sin comes along and distorts that design. So in the world, we see authority being abused. But God says authority is good. And in Jesus, we see him exercise it for true beauty, for our freedom and our joy. Now, you'll remember that the second half of Ephesians calls us to live according to the truth that we've heard from the first half. Now, we've summarized that truth throughout as God's plan to unite all things under Christ. See, God includes us by his power in what he's doing. In fact, he gives us starring roles. And because of his great love for us, he lavishly blesses us. We have it all. And so by faith, we are not what we once were. We were dead people, controlled by our sinful desires, led astray by the world, deceived by the devil. But now we have been raised to new life. The same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is the power that is at work in us now. That is phenomenal. If you get the power that you have, it is mind-blowing. Now, you might remember my uh, glove from a couple of weeks ago. Here's another, because always, it's always good to have more than one glove. Um, it's made for work. But on its own, it can't do anything. It's dead, lifeless, powerless. Until another power comes along and animates it, giving it new life. And suddenly now, this glove is able to do a whole lot of stuff, useful things. Like this glove, we are filled by God's Spirit to do the good works that He prepared for us to do. That's why in Ephesians 4 verse 1, we are urged to live worthy of our calling. We have become something new. Or as chapter 5 verse 8 puts it, you are no longer darkness, but light in the Lord. So live as children of light. Now, Ephesians has not been telling us, look over here, look at this wonderful plan of God. Now go and do it. You've seen the blueprint, go build the building. We just don't have that kind of power. That would be a little bit like me sitting my seven-year-old son down explaining to him how a car works, a really good explanation, mind you, I'm quite good at that, and then handing him the keys and saying, good luck. The poor kid. It's not going to go very well for him, is it? And probably not for me either. I'd probably get arrested. Now, we are much more like the glove. A God, by his power, must come along and give us new life if we are to have any hope of living differently. 
He must change us from the inside out so that we can live as children of light. Now, Ephesians 4 showed us how that change comes about. Because of God's resurrection power that is at work in us, this is what happens. We encounter the truth, the truth that's in Jesus, the truth of the gospel. And when we do, it changes who we are. Our thinking and our desires are made new. That's the engine that drives us. It's our inner being which informs what we value, what we want, what we chase after in life, our hopes and dreams and ambitions, what we believe is going to satisfy us and make us happy, the stuff that we would be willing to shed blood and sweat and tears for. God uses his truth to come and change all that. And it is only because our thinking and our desires are made new by God's power that we can live the way he calls us to. That's the reason, as we've been reading through Ephesians, we've had this emphasis on speaking and singing the truth of Scripture to each other in the ordinary, everyday moments of life. Because that is where change starts. God's truth renews us so that we can live in line with it. It's not know the truth and then go and do it. We can't. It is know the truth so that you are renewed by God's power to obey him. Now that's the reason in chapter 5, that's where we are, chapter 5, we are called to live as children of light. Children of light under the lordship of Jesus. God's plan to unite all things under Christ and so we, his people, are called to live under that Jesus. How do we do that? By being filled with God's Spirit. No spirit, no power, no change. What does it look like to be filled by God's Spirit? It looks like speaking and singing the truth of Scripture to each other. It looks like living thankful lives because we realize all that we have in Jesus. It looks like submitting to one another in our relationships. And that submitting is what we dwelt on last week and what we're looking at this week in the beginning of chapter 6. Now, I'm just going to focus on two principles as we go through that. The first is that all of us, whatever our other relationships, share a common call to submit to Jesus. The second is that each one of us occupies different roles across a range of human relationships. And in those relationships, we are called to either exercise loving headship or humble submission as is appropriate. Now, often we will wear multiple hats at the same time. So in some relationships, I might be called to lead while in others, I may be called to submit. But those are our two principles, the common call to submit to Jesus and the call to love or submit in our relationships with each other. 
So let's look at the first of those. The call to submit to Jesus as our Lord. Now take a look at it in the text in chapter 5 verse 21. What is the motive for submitting? So at the end of the verse, we submit out of reverence for Christ. Now that word translated reverence is actually fear. That's not a sense of terror or being intimidated by someone. It is a sense of awe and wonder as we stand in the presence of Christ who is Lord. He's the one who has authority over the entire universe. It's right to be humbled, to know our place relative to him. And he is also the one who will return as the judge of God's kingdom. He will hold us and everyone else accountable for how we live in this world. And so throughout Scripture, fear is the appropriate response to God's holy and authoritative presence. Seeing him for who he is, rightly responding to him, looks like obedience. And Jesus' authority runs through the rest of this section as well. And look at 5 verse 23. Christ there is the head of the church. And 524, the church submits to Christ. Chapter 6 verse 1. Notice how children are called to obey in the Lord. And 6 verse 4. Parents are to raise their children in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves are called to obey. The end of verse 5, as they would obey Christ. And to serve, verse 7, as if they were serving the Lord. And masters, verse 9, are to remember their master in heaven. Jesus is Lord. That's the controlling truth here. From chapter 1, God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. If by faith we are trusting in Jesus, then each of us is a part of his body. He is the head. He rules over everything with God's authority. He rules over us. We stand under him as his subjects, his followers, his dependents. That is wonderful. But here's the thing that should grip your hearts. The way that this Lord rules. According to Ephesians, we, the church, are his bride. We are the beloved wife of Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 25. Christ shows his love by giving himself up for his wife. You see, he is this heroic prince who comes from heaven to earth to rescue the one he loves. He comes to battle sin and death and the devil to give his life up 
for you. And keep that love in perspective. It's not like we're these amazing, lovable creatures. We were by nature deserving of wrath. We were sinners, hating God, hating each other, driven by cravings, full of impurity and greed. It's an ugly picture. And yet the Lord of all creation sets his love upon us. He lays down his life for his bride. It continues in 5 verse 26. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. He takes the unlovely, the unlovable, and makes us beautiful. You cannot be more loved than you are. He has seen the very worst of you that there is to see, and still he chose you. You are his great treasure. Isn't that amazing? You are the wife of Christ. You are also his child, adopted into his family. And so chapter 5, verse 1, he can call us to express the family resemblance as dearly loved children. He looks on us with tenderness and care. He wants the very best for our lives. He takes pleasure in supplying our need and caring for us and protecting us. We have the full rights of children who can run into the arms of our Father knowing that he will embrace us. And you are a slave of the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 9. He is our master in heaven. It is right for us to acknowledge his authority over us, his claim on our lives. It's right for us to fear him, to obey, to show respect, to give honor. You may be a guy, but you are a wife. You may have kids, but you are a child. You may have people who answer to you, but you are a slave. Why am I laboring that? Because Jesus has been winning our hearts right through Ephesians. This is how he rules. We live under him. We rightly fear him. Yet we must be completely secure in his love. We're people who are dependent on his mercy his generosity, his strengthening grace as our husband, our father, our Lord. This is who he is. He loves. That's just what he does. And so submitting to Jesus' rule is not some terrible oppression. It's not being controlled by someone who needs to feel big about themselves. It's not a heavy burden to carry. Now, this 
is where we find true joy. This is where we find satisfaction. He's the one who fills our hearts to overflowing. That is a load that is as light as a feather. Well, that's the controlling truth. And that's the truth that controls every other relationship. Under Jesus, there is no self-serving superiority, no double standard, no favoritism. We are called to exercise authority in love and to submit joyfully because Jesus, our Lord, has loved us. Well, that takes us to the second principle. Jesus calls us to please him by leading in love or submitting humbly in our relationships with each other. Are you a wife, a child, and a servant of Christ who is also a wife, child, or servant to someone else? Well, Christ calls you to submit in those relationships. Notice what the motivation is not. Wives, it is not because your husbands are wonderful people and love you as they should. Children, it is not because your parents are well-balanced and have it all together. Workers, it's not because your bosses are models of integrity and put your well-being above theirs. Now, the motivation is that Christ is Lord. We serve Christ when we submit to those that he has placed in authority over us. Notice also in verse 3 and in verse 8 that obedience is linked with blessing. As we live under Jesus' rule and we submit to others, we enjoy the full life that he's promised. And in verses 5 to 7, we are called to serve wholeheartedly and with integrity, not for show or because we're seeking favor from those in authority over us, but because it is Jesus whom we are serving. Now, because we submit first to Christ, there are times that we must call out sin. A wife may need to caution her husband for his attitude. A child may need to draw attention to his mother's tone of voice. An employee may need to challenge her boss's unfairness. There may be times to call the elders or even the police. There may be a time to say, I want to honor you, but in good conscience, I cannot participate in that because it disobeys Jesus. There may be a time to flee for safety. Yet in every case, the attitude of submission to God and to the person makes the interaction sweet because we approach the person with gentleness and respect. Ask yourself, how can I visibly and consistently 
show respect and honor and submission to the person whom Christ has placed over me. How will I communicate through my words, my actions, and my attitude that I stand under them? And are there ways in which I am disrespectful, contrary, headstrong, or lazy, or manipulative? See, if we reflect at our own lives, and we think about the amount of gossip, backbiting, covert and overt rebellion, stubbornness, disrespect, nagging, manipulating, grumbling. There's quite a lot of it in our relationships. These things are never right. Even when a husband, a parent, or a boss is doing something that is terribly wrong, we must never pay back evil for evil. Even when someone who ought to be looking out for your welfare is looking out only for their own. Chapter 4, verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building each other up according to the need of the moment. One of the recurring themes in my conversations with many of you is how challenging your workplaces are. You end the day and come home not just physically tired, but soul-weary. You sometimes feel undervalued, treated like a resource, not a person. Your boss's welfare and the company's bottom line are number one. You or your colleagues are treated unfairly. Well, remember this. Jesus is Lord, not your employer. You are loved, and your future cannot be more secure than it is. And so from that place of confidence and security, show respect. Pay back evil with good. Serve with integrity. Look out for the well-being of the people around you. And bear the cost of all that with joy. Jesus shows us that obedience is freedom from sin. And it is freedom for love for courage, for purposeful living. If you aim for submission when Christ calls you to submit, your life will flourish. Rightly understood and lived out, submission makes the beauty, freedom, and joy of life under Jesus shine out. Well, that's one side. Here is the other. Are you a wife, child, and servant of Christ who is also a husband, father, or master to somebody else? Well, Christ calls you to love, to provide, to care for, to nourish, 
to cherish, to value, to bring mercy, to give grace, to purify, to build up, to teach, to treat fairly. You particularly image Christ by looking out for the well-being of those who are under your care. And once again, the motivation is that Christ is Lord, not me. Just as he loved by giving up his life for his beloved, we love by placing the needs of those in our care above our own. So ask yourself, how can I nourish and treat fairly the person God has placed under my care? How will I communicate with my words and actions and attitude that I'm looking out for them? And ask, are there ways in which I am unfair or self-serving or harsh or neglectful or irritating? or discouraging, or domineering. Ephesians says, if Christ loves you, love your wife. If your father nourishes you, nourish your children. If your master does you good, do good to those who serve you. A chauvinistic, authoritarian attitude goes against the self-giving authority of Christ. Authority goes bad when my will trumps God's will to serve others. See, then the goal of my life just becomes getting others to submit to my selfish and demanding will. Now, that really challenges me again and again as a parent. On the whole, I want what's good for my kids. But in confrontation, I realize again and again that my tendency is to want my kids to obey because I am Lord. Do it because I said so. Or, on the neglectful end of the spectrum, that's just inconvenient for me right now, so I'm not going to bother. Loving headship is so unnatural because it goes against our instinctive, reinforced, habitual craving to get our own way. In those moments, I need someone to gently point out my sin and call me to repentance. Not to dress me down, but to gently point out my sin. In other words, I need someone to speak the truth to me when I am least likely to remember it. That's what Ephesians has been calling us to right throughout. Jesus shows us that loving authority is freedom from sin. And it is freedom for love and service and purposeful living. If you aim for loving headship when Christ calls you to lead, your life will flourish. 
rightly understood and lived out, nurturing love makes the beauty and freedom and joy of life under Christ shine out. One final comment before I end. If you are anything like me, you read this text and you just feel weighed down by your failure. Well, be encouraged. The hope is not that we can live like this by trying harder. We can't. We just don't have that kind of power. The hope is that by faith, God has included us in his plan. His resurrection power is now at work in us. You are being filled with his spirit. And so the call here is to keep going back to the truth. Speak it. Speak it. And speak it again. Sing it to each other. Listen to it when you hear it. That is where change starts. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we long to be filled with your spirit and to live as children of light. Strengthen us to submit to Jesus as Lord and to lead and submit in our relationships with each other in dependence on him. Amen.